0: Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for beautiful weather outside. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together. And I pray as we come together and we hear your word, I pray that you would speak to us, uh, that, Lord, you would open our ears, our hearts, our minds to your word. And as we start this new study, I pray that you would challenge our faith, challenge us, Lord, and may we grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm excited about this new series. Um, As I mentioned the last couple weeks, we're going to start a series titled God's Story in Our Story. And if you've been with us over the past, I don't know, ever since I've been here, I've used the word journey a lot. Have you guys noticed that? I say journey a lot. I see some nods. Um, I'm going to be probably using that word a a lot in this series too because I really see life like a journey. And even in our lives, we, we have a lot of little journeys as we go along. And so in our series, I've cautioned you, I don't know how long it's going to take for us to get through Scripture. We're not going to go verse by verse, book by book, so don't worry. Right? If you're worried about like going over the book of, like I don't know, Leviticus, right? you're going to be like, oh my goodness, when is that going to happen? We're, gonna, we're not going to be so much going over book series so much as we're going to follow a theme that's woven throughout Scripture. We're going to see God's story that's written throughout Scripture. And we're going to take some time, a lot of time in certain parts, and we're not going to spend so much time in some other parts, but we're going to see God's narrative that's woven throughout Scripture. And I think you're going to see how it, it is appropriate that we see the journey through Scripture and how it speaks to our journey in our life. So it's not going to be so much of a book study. We're not going to get too technical on a lot of things. But we will see how God's story is woven throughout Scripture and how it can be woven in our lives. Okay? Uh, so before I, we get into some passages, uh, I wanted to do this Sunday as kind of an introduction to the series and, and why we're going to go over some of the things we will go over. And I want to share some statistics I found now, the Gallup poll did a, a survey in May of this, May uh, in 22, so last year uh, in May, and they asked, they polled American adults their belief in God. So this is a general poll about their belief in God, and they started doing this in 1944, In 1944, 96% of American adults answered that they believed in God. So this is a general response, not necessarily Christian or not, but a general belief in God or higher power. 96% in 1944 said they believed in God. In 2011, that statistic dropped to 92%. In 2017, it dropped to 87%. From, 90, from 44 to 96% down to 87% in 2017. So when they did this poll last year in 2022, guess how much? Do you have a guess? Did you, did you look at my notes? No? 81%. Got a genius over there who did his research. 81% of adults answered they believe in God. So it drop from 96% 4 44 to 2022, 81%. 17% of Americans said they do not believe in God at all, okay? So let's take a look at this, break this down a little bit further, okay? So the 87% From 2013 to 2017, so within that range of time, 87% said they believed in God, and in 2022, 81%, so a minus 6%, right? Let's break this down into gender. For men, for men in in 2017, 83% said they believed in God, and now it's down to 80%, all right? So it dropped three percentage points. What do you think it is for Women. 90, 85, some of you. For women, it went from 90% to 83%. A bigger drop-off for women within that span than it was for men. How many of you are surprised by that? All right, a couple of you, a few of you. Let's look at age for a second. For 65 years and older, 90% in 2017 answered they believed in God, it drops to 87%. Okay, not, not too much, right? From 50, age 50 to 64, it went from 93 to 88. From ages 30 to 49, it went from 86 to 81. How many of you have already fallen into those categories? You don't have to raise your hands. Now they polled ages from 18 to 29. Now this is probably the most least represented demographic here in this room, right? But if you fall in this room, let me just ask for a second. How many do you how what percentage do you think responded they believe in God? What percentage for the age range of 18 to 29? What are your thoughts? Give me some numbers. What do you think? All right. If you're watching online, all you heard was mumbling, right? So I have no idea. I just heard some numbers. From ages 18 to 29, in 2017, 78%. Today, 68%. A 10% drop-off for the ages of 18 to 29. right? So within that five-year period, Drops 10 percentage points. Let's go a little bit further. Ideological identification. In other words, if you affiliate yourself either conservative, moderate, or liberal. Okay? Just throwing this out there. Conservatives in 2017 answered 95%, believe in God. In 2022, 94%. So not a significant drop-off. For those who consider themselves moderate, went from 88 to 86 but those who consider themselves liberal went from 73% to 62%. So 11% drop off as we go along. Uh, Gallup also polled how religious are Americans. How religious do you tend to be? And it's interesting, they polled this in December of 21, and they asked about church attendance how many of you how many of you went to either church, synagogue, temple, mosque within the 7 days and we kind of keep in mind people are just adjusting from the pandemic, right? 29% of adults said they attended some kind of religious service or church within the last 7 days, either in person or virtual. Only 29%. To put it in perspective, in 19 or in, in two thousand. 44% responded that they went to some kind of service within seven days. So it went from 44% to 29%, either in person or virtual. Okay? They did also a survey. They asked about Americans' belief in God. Okay? What about their belief in God? 42% answered that God hears your prayers. So their idea of God is that at least 42% of people polled said that God hears their prayers. But look at this. Only 28% believe that God hears your prayers and can intervene on your behalf. Following what they're saying? So they're asking what your idea of God is, and only 28% of people polled believe that God hears your prayers and intervenes on your behalf. And 11% believe God does neither. Neither hears or, no long, or even intervenes on their behalf. Break this down a little bit further. I know there's a lot of statistics, but there's a reason, okay? They ask this question about those who attend religious services either weekly, nearly monthly, or seldom, Okay? For those who attend religious services either weekly, nearly monthly, or seldom, okay? 74% of people who attend religious services weekly believe that God hears and intervenes. Now, I don't know if you think that's a good thing or not, but think of it this way. Three quarters, let's say if you take this group, only three quarters of you who would come, I'm not saying this is true, but kind of visualize only three-quarters of you believe that God hears your prayers and intervenes in your life, right? If you go seldomly, it goes to 50%, or it goes, if you go like monthly, like every once in a while, it drops to 50%. If you seldomly go to service, church service, it drops to 28%. They ask the same question, conservative, moderate, liberal. If you consider yourself conservative or moderate, liberal, now this is kind of shocking to me right you consider yourself conservative you saw that most conservatives the vast majority of conservatives believe in God but yet of those people only about half of them believe that God hears your prayers and intervenes on your behalf it drops all the way to 25% if you consider yourself liberal let's look again at age If you are 18 to 29, only 30% believe that God hears their prayers and intervenes. And it slightly increases for 30 to 49, 50 to 64. It's interesting that 65 and older, only 44% believe that God hears their prayers and intervenes. And immediately I kind of think about, it. I wonder what happens in the life of someone who's in that age bracket, who only believes that God, that God doesn't hear or intervene in their lives, right? I don't know if this is interesting to you, but maybe to me this is more interesting, but essentially they also asked about Christians, okay? So George Barna focused on Christians, those who identify themselves as Christians, and he divided into five segments of people, Okay, the five segments of people is those who self-identify as Christian. So very generalized, they identify themselves as Christian. And then those who self-identify as being born-again Christian. And then those who self-identify as evangelical Christian. Okay, so those three segments, you just identify yourself as those categories. And then there's two other categories. One who's theologically, quote-unquote, born-again. So in other words, that you, you base that category on some authority outside of your own opinion. Does that make sense? And then those who are integrated disciples, so you're more serious about you know, your, your idea of God, okay? And they ask this question about those, those segments. The Bible is accurate, reliable word of God, okay? So that's the question they pose. Do you believe that the Bible is accurate, Reliable Word of God. So this is how it breaks down. For those who identified as Christian generally, only half, only 52% of people who identify themselves as generally Christian believe that the Bible is a reliable Word of God. Only 60% and 58% who identify as evangelical or biblical believe. The Bible is accurate, reliable word of God. And then it increases a bit, 74%. But even think about that. If you say I'm theologically born again, I read the Bible and I I kind of uh, uh, classify myself as a born again Christian, of those people, still only three out of four or about nearly 75% believe the Bible is the accurate word of God. That means only twenty-five percent. So we break up this room. A quarter of you would say this is not the authority or biblical, reliable Word of God. Okay. They ask another question: Moral truth. What about moral truth? Is it up to the individual? There is no moral absolutes. Okay, that's the question, right? They ask people: Is there moral absolutes? Okay, they ask the same thing. Again, 52% of those who classify themselves as Christian will say there is no moral absolutes. Half of people who identify themselves as Christians say there's no moral absolutes. It's up to the individual. It slightly goes up for those who self-identify, 65%. Theologically, 40%. And again, 25% for those who are integrated disciples. So the lower number would say that there is a moral absolute. Okay, you follow me with the statistics so far? Another question they ask. Having faith matters more than which faith you have. Okay, so they ask this question. It matters more about what faith you have. It matters less about what you have your faith in. You can designate, you have a stuffed animal, and you're going to one day say, you know this stuffed animal? I'm going to believe in my Stuff, animal, bear. This bear is is God to me, and only matters I have faith in. It doesn't matter who I have faith in. All right, you kind of get the idea. Sixty-six percent of those who classify themselves as Christian believes it's more important that just you have faith. It's less important as to who you have faith in, or what you have faith in. It goes to sixty and sixty-one percent, then thirty. I'm sorry, 77 and 74%, and then 56%, and then 42%. They ask you another question. A person generally good will, who's generally good, will earn a place in heaven. So as long as you're generally good and you live a good life, you'll earn a place to heaven. 58% of those who classify themselves as Christian. And it's slightly more, for those who are born again, or evangelical, evangelical will say that is true. Little, slightly more than half will say, as long as you're a good person, you could earn your way to heaven." Goes down as low as five percent for the other side. A little bit more, and I'm done, I'll be done with statistics, the statistics. Those who self-identify as Christians, they're the largest group of people, 7 out of 10 people that they polled, right, identified generally as just Christian, overall just Christian. Of those, 71% consider feelings, experience, or the input of friends and family as their most trusted sources of moral guidance. So most people, a vast majority of people who classify themselves as Christian, they trust their experience their family, or their friends as being the moral authority. That is the precedence that they have. 64% say that all religious faiths are of equal value. So most of them will say that all religious faiths are of equal value. And 58% contend that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but is merely a symbol of God's power, His presence, or purity. Hey, you you're kind of seeing this picture for a second? Let me go one more. 57% believe in karma. 46% believe marriage of one man to one woman is God's plan for humanity across cultures. So less than half of people who respond as Christian believe marriage of one man to one woman is God's plan for humanity across cultures. 32% believe premarital sex is morally unacceptable. Think about that. Only thirty-two percent believe that it's morally unacceptable. Nine percent have a biblical world view. Only nine percent. I'm gonna skip this next one. Self-identified born-again evangelical Christians, sixty-nine percent consider so it's not much difference. One more I want to share. Overall, only 6% of U.S. adults possess a biblical worldview. 6% of adults have a biblical worldview. So you wonder why do we go over all these statistics, Pastor Mike? If you're not a statistics person, then, you know, you, you may not have, this may not be significant. But the reason why I bring up all these stats so that we can have a picture of the trends of American society today. This is the trend and this is where it's going as a society. We see the percentages, we see the people's thinking, their idea of God, their perception of God, but it's not just American society. But we're seeing these may be the trends that exist in our congregation today. Right? Where does not just obscure, just like the worldly statistics? This could be the statistics for our congregation today. Right? You may claim to be a Christian, you may classify yourself as a Christian, but that can mean, as we see in the statistics, that can mean a lot of things. It can mean a lot of things to say you're a Christian. It can mean a lot of things to say you're a born again Christian or an evangelical Christian or whatever you want to classify yourself as. But it may not necessarily mean that you are biblically a Christian. Biblical may not be one of them, right? All the reason why I bring this up and to start our study and our time together through the Word is that these trends really speak to the importance of our understanding of who God is, his written word, his story, and his story in our life, right? Barna also surveyed people, and they asked, what are you looking for spiritually, what are you looking for spiritually? And there's a, there a list of things that people were looking for when they think of spirituality, what they're looking for. And across adults and teenagers and across religions and faith, two of the three top answers was inner peace and hope. Across all these demographics, two of the three top answers was inner peace and hope. People are looking and searching for inner peace and hope. That's what they're looking for spiritually. And it's interesting that everyone is seeking inner peace. They're seeking hope. Yet we're seeing that as a collective, our society is moving further and further away from God. We're seeing more and more people believe that God doesn't exist, God doesn't answer, God doesn't hear, God doesn't intervene, and it's interesting we see how our nation continues to distance itself from God and the God of the Bible particularly, and they're doing it blatantly and unapologetically, all right? If you pay attention around, you see that our nation and the media and education and all these systems and institutions, they're going further and further away from God of the Bible, and they're unapologetic. They make no mistake about it, right? It's no wonder, I don't know about you, but I look around and it just seems more and more people have a more heightened sense of despair, a lack of hope, a lack of uncertainty, questioning all these things, right? And so that's why, you know, one of the reasons why we're going through these series is that we want to capture an understanding, what is the God of the Bible? Who is the God of the Bible? What does the Bible say about God and his story and how his story can be in our story? And so we're going to start off our series in the first chapter of Genesis, and that may be the most contentious passage in Scripture, It's contentious among the secular science community, right? But it's also contentious among the Christian community. A lot of Christians debate about how literal is Genesis 1. How are we to understand Genesis 1? So we're going to start off with that. I'm going to read it over all Genesis 1 through chapter 2, verse 3. And we're just going to touch on it a little bit today. And we'll explore more of it in the following weeks. Verse 1. It says, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning one day." Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let us separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters, which were below the expanse from the waters, which were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them. After their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning a third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the great light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts, and by the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. We'll talk more about more of those those passages in the coming weeks. But I want to reiterate again our focus, our threefold focus throughout this series. I want us to have a better understanding of God and His story. All right, first purpose and focus throughout our series that you can have a better understanding of God and His story, and the second thing then to better understand ourselves and our story, and then thirdly, we could better understand God in our story. Why do I say that? Because many people have an unhealthy, inaccurate concept of God. And they kind of have it backwards. They have a flawed understanding of themselves, and so they have a flawed understanding of God and His story. You catch what I'm saying? If you have an unhealthy, inaccurate understanding of yourself then you're going to have an unhealthy understanding of God. Follow me? If you have a flawed understanding of God, you won't be able to see yourself accurately, let alone your life accurately. But if we can understand the God of the Bible, have a healthy understanding of God and his story, then we can better understand ourselves, our life. And then we can better understand how God is in our life, that his story is a part Of our story, right? Now, I start off with the book of Genesis, and it's interesting that the book of Genesis begins by answering the most common, profound questions people ask, right? That they beg to be answered. Where did we come from? Where did life begin? Does God exist? Those are questions that many people ask the origins of life. And it's interesting, from the very first verse, we're given a clear statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why is that so profound? Notice, there's no origin story about how God came to be, right? It doesn't tell us how God was created. There's no mythological narrative of how God came into being. There's no cosmic narrative of these gods warring with each other and birthed other gods. Genesis begins with this profound statement before in the beginning, before time and all this stuff, God was. That's very profound it stands out among all the other beliefs in that time. All the mythology and the other religions, they believed that the gods were a product of other gods or matter birthed these other gods. But the God of the Bible, the God of the Hebrews, from the very beginning of Genesis, in the beginning, God created. God preceded those things. And from our first reading in Genesis 1, chapter, from 1 to, to verse 3 of chapter 2, boldly declares these things. God is the sole creator and designer. There was only one creator and designer, and it was God. God creates with purpose and and intention, as we see in those days, there was purpose and intention for each of those days as he creates. We see that God is the master over creation. And fourthly, we see God is provider for his creation. See, this narrative of creation, a lot of people look at it and say, well, it's, 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 they're trying to copy the other religions. It's not a copy is very contrasting to the belief system in those days. It's only one God who creates. He designs, he's intentional, he's purposeful. And he provides for his creation. Creation and life didn't come from random chance or inexplicable Chaos. It wasn't randomness that these things came into being. It wasn't out of a chaotic situation or of a warring of God's. God declared something to be and he created these things to be. And that God is the master over creation. We see how God separates and he gathers. This is distinctive of the belief system in those days. And we're going to see this as we go in the narrative, as we see the God of the Bible. God is showing that he is master over creation. Creation isn't a master. They're not gods in itself. I mentioned about being contentious. Genesis 1 being contentious, right? Most of the science community... Most of science community, even some Christians within the science community, are really contend with Genesis 1. And they look at it scientifically. They say, Genesis 1 is impossible to look at ten- like literally. Because they look at what they s- interpret data to be and say, they say, you know, Genesis 1 cannot be a textbook, right? Maybe you've heard that before, right? And I agree. Genesis 1 was not intended to be a science Textbook. Wasn't intended to be a science textbook. You know, you open your textbooks in science and they show you step by step and they they, they dig into it and they give you a scientific explanation of some things. Genesis 1 is not intended to be a scientific textbook. And I think there's reasons for that, right? Just like the Bible isn't intended to be a history book of all of humanity, it doesn't cover all of humanity, all these different civilizations. But God certainly has a narrative for it. But this topic of science and faith is so contentious because it's portrayed as you either believe in science or you believe in God. You're either a person of science or you're a person of faith, right? That always brings me back to, I don't know how many of you have watched Nacho Libre. Have you seen Nacho Libre? Hardly any of you, right? I think it's funny, right? However, you think of Jack Black or not? Do you remember that little scene about the rest of the two wrestlers? You know, talking about baptize, getting baptized. He's like, "I'm not a man. Of, I'm a man of science. I won't. I'm not even going to try it among among you to get the to get the accent right. It's either you're a man of I'm a man of science. I'm not a man of faith. And see, that's how it's portrayed. That you're either a person who believes in science, or you're a person you believe in faith, and that is the polarized. Issue that is presented, that's certainly one way to look at it. People who look at science, you can look at a science that says, you look at science as a means to disprove God. And a lot of people view science that way. Science is as a way to disprove God's existence. And if you look at science that way, if your understanding of science is a means to disprove God, then you know what? No matter what you discover, you're going to come up with some excuse to say this proves that God does not exist. But if you look at science as a means to show God's existence, you're going to see that, wow, all the things that we discover in science shows how amazing God is. Look how intricate to the detail we see in nature and in the cosmos it only speaks of an intelligent designer. So you can look at it from perspective that shows that, you know, wow, look at how amazing life is. It can only speak of God's existence. But if you're looking for reasons to disprove God, to justify you rejecting God, then you know what? You will find any reason. You will find any excuse to not believe in God. It's all a matter of perspective. You can either look at science as a means to, to really strengthen your faith and say, man, look how amazing God designed us. Or it could weaken your faith. And you may say, well, okay, Pastor Mike, this is the Bible, right? This is people's interpretation of the Bible, it's just people. The Bible, how they read, they it's just, just their view and their understanding of God. It's just people's perspective. I'm going to show us as we go along in Scripture. That's not how the Bible is written. The Bible is not written from a perspective of man creating, making up God, making some sense in their world you'll see the perspective as the Bible is written, it's written from God communicating a message to his people. People are not making this up. If you're going to make up a God, this is not how you would make up God. And we'll see that as we go along. I want to end with this. I like this verse in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 verse 3. This is the the faith chapter in Hebrews. Verse three, says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that these things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. I love that. Through faith we understand the the worlds were formed or framed by the word of God so that which were seen were not made of things which do appear. I have no problem saying I have faith that God created all of life. I may not have all the answers, but I have no problem saying I have faith that God created all these things that we see. There's nothing unrational about that. I could comfortably say that science proves to us that life is much more complex than we can imagine, and it only testifies of an intelligent creator and designer. The more we study science, the more we discover things, the more we realize there had to be intelligent designer behind all these things. It doesn't make sense that all these things formed out of chaos, out of random chance. I can comfortably say that faith tells me I have a God that's not restricted by natural laws. That God is greater than the natural laws. God is greater than his creation. I can, I can faithfully say that. And my hope as we go in and we tackle these things in this series, I pray that if, if you are one who you categorize yourself as Christian, but you know you're not sure about God. You're not sure if God intervenes in your life. You're not sure about whether there is moral absolutes or not. You're not even sure whether if you, go, if you can be, go to heaven because you're a good person. My prayer as we go through this, we understand an accurate understanding of who God is and his story and how we are to understand ourselves and our story, our life, and that we can understand that God has a story in our life, has an impact for us. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. And as we begin a study, as we begin a look throughout your scriptures to understand who you are, understand your story. Lord, we don't know people's perspectives and what they believe. Is there a God? Does God exist? Does God care for us? Does he intervene in our lives? Does he hear our prayers? Lord, I pray in our time in your word that we would have a healthy, accurate understanding of who you are, who we are, and your place in our life, your story in our story, Lord. May you strengthen faith as we go through your word. We thank you, Lord God, that you are creator, designer. We praise you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen.